We now come to a time of reading uh, God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew in front of you. And we're reading from James 5, 1 through 6, and it's going to be on page 113, or 1013. Zero helps. So listen now to the reading of God's holy and inerrant Word. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. As we prepare to come before God's word, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come now, that you would be with us, that you would speak to your people by your Spirit. Um, We gather corporately as a congregation, but each of us, when we walk through the doors this morning, we come with various things on our minds and upon our hearts. Some of us surprised that we even find ourselves in a church this morning. Uh, Some of us come and Our hearts and our minds are full of questions and doubts and very skeptical about what we're doing this morning, and still others come with great joy and thanksgiving in their hearts. Um, Some of us come just heavily burdened with the sorrows of life in a broken world, Um, while others of us come very aware of the hypocrisy in our lives, the great distance between what we claim to be and what we actually are. And Father, many other ways we come, but we pray that you would remind us this morning as we come beneath your word that we really are all the same. Despite the different symptoms in our lives, we are all far more broken, far more crooked and twisted and depraved than we could ever imagine. And so together, We come before Your Word because we need to be reminded that because of Jesus, we can also be, at the same time, far more loved, far more accepted, far more approved of, far more secure than we ever dared to hope or dream. So, Father, we pray that You would take us to Jesus this morning, for it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The children, ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to your children's church. If you just go to the back of the church there, you'll be taken to your class. Um, This morning, we're continuing our series through James' letter, and uh, we're in this passage, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, this morning. We've been working our way section after section through James. Um, before I get there, let me just say one more thing, especially if you, you might have come in late and missed 
the announcements. Let me highlight um, our Christmas offering. We're on December 11th, we're trying to raise $35,000 to cover three different goals that we have, ministry goals for our church. And if I could just highlight one of those for you this morning, it would be the hiring of a full-time assistant pastor that's going to be helping us get a youth program started. Um, and, you know, this is, it, it's, it even goes beyond that because we're looking for a person that will not just be... Um, only committed to youth work, but will also be a part of our staff here to care for the members of Grace Community Church, all the members, as well as uh, our community as we reach out to our community. And uh, I've already been able to have several conversations with potential candidates, and so we're getting excited about that. But um, it's really not possible to hire uh, anybody unless we have money to give that person. So, um, so we need, and we're depending on you to respond with generosity to this Christmas offering that's helping fund this. Um, so think about this. Can you give a thousand or two thousand or five thousand uh, dollars to that um, to that special offering so that we can move forward with that? Um, so now that we've talked about money and our uh, Christmas offering, we turn our attention to James chapter five verses one through six, which is about um, money. Uh, So we're right back where we started. But in this passage, in a very pointed manner, what James is doing here is he is addressing, he's addressing the hoarding of wealth, of getting money or possessions and building lives of comfort for ourselves rather than giving money uh, to God's kingdom. And in a passage that you might want to read maybe sometime later today on your own, uh, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus actually, he told a parable about this very same thing that James was talking about. In fact, this may be where James was, he was relying on this story to get much of his material for what he writes here. But I just want you to hear how Jesus introduced that parable on hoarding. This is what Jesus said, what, what Luke chapter 12 verse 15 says. It says, and Jesus said to them, take care And be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says, be on guard. And that's something extremely rare that Jesus ever says. I I think he only says it one other time in the Gospels. Be on guard. Because there's something about money. There's something about possessions. There's something about wealth that it can really sneak up on us, and we're not ready for it. Um, it, it. It can subtly get a hold of us and get its teeth into us before we're even aware and it's too late. Um, there's a certain poisonous about wealth um, that before we realize we've ingested it, it's too late, and it's destroying our lives. Um, I was watching the National Geographic channel one day, and they were videoing this cute little red salamander that was swimming in this creek. It was actually just being floated along in this creek uh, like he was on a lazy river or something. And, um, you know, it was just this harmless little salamander. didn't look dangerous at all, no hard protective shell, no dangerous teeth or claws or anything like that, just floating down the creek. And then this camera showed 
this big old frog sitting on the bank of this creek. And as soon as that salamander got floated down the creek and got within striking distance, that frog pounced and swallowed that salamander thing up in just one gigantic gulp, right? And it was over. No more salamander in the creek. And, um, you know, it was cool. They, it's in HD. They, you know, showed it like 12 times, you know, in slow motion. It was awesome. Um, and then after, after the frog was done, he crawled up on the bank again. And, um, but not quite the end of the story because 30 seconds after crawling up on this bank, the frog died. Um, and the narrator that comes on is telling you about how this, this particular red little salamander has this poisonous coating on its skin. And therefore, the moment that frog took that, that salamander in, it was over for that frog. It was going to die. Um, but still not yet quite the end of the story. Because 10 seconds after that, that little red salamander pushed its way out of that dead frog's mouth, got right back in the creek, and, you know, did his float down the the lazy river. Um, It was pretty awesome. Um, It's really important that we talk about wealth and and money and the danger of hoarding today. It, It can so easily catch us off guard, and you have to be alert. You have to be on guard. The danger is real. And this is why the only thing Jesus talked about more than money was the kingdom of God. Because he saw money as a real danger. He talked about it more than he talked about sex, more than he talked about relationships or lying or any other topic you can imagine. Because it's dangerous, but it's very, very sneaky. We don't see it coming until it's too late. And you have to be on guard because if you swallow this poison, James is saying, it will undo you. What he says in verse 3 is that it will eat your flesh like fire. So we need to have a conversation about it this morning. So here's the three things we're going to talk about this morning. I want us to talk about wealth's power to rot our hearts, and then I want us to talk about wealth's power to rob rob us of our comfort. And then finally, I want us to talk about how do we break the power of wealth. So first, wealth's power to rot our hearts. James begins this little section of, I already quoted this section of a verse, but but he says about money, hoarding money and possessions, that it will eat your flesh like fire. And that is a terrifying image, isn't it? I mean, flames with teeth that will bite into you and devour your flesh. Um, Hoarding in order to live in luxury, um, hoarding in order uh, to indulge ourselves, as James wrote in verse 5, has this power to really rot our hearts. And what immediately makes all of this very, very difficult is it leaves us trying to figure out where the line is. Um, Where's the line in your life between necessity and convenience? Um, between necessity and luxury, or between convenience and self-indulgence, or between saving and hoarding. But James, he doesn't tell us where that line is. He leaves it to each of us to figure out where that line is, because the Bible was written for all people and all cultures at all times. And so James, he doesn't tell us what amount of money in our 401k ceases to be saving 
and becomes hoarding. He doesn't tell us what amount of money in your clothing budget crosses the line between convenience and self-indulgence. He doesn't tell us what amount of money spent on your family vacation crosses the line between necessity and luxury, or how much money you can spend on cars or houses or eating out at restaurants or at Christmas present for Christmas presents this year. And it may frustrate us that he doesn't give us this line, a hard and fast exact amount, but what he's very clearly saying in this passage is that you need to think about everything in your life. You need to ask the question about all your possessions. Is this a necessity or a luxury? Is this saving or hoarding? Is this a convenience or self-indulgence? And so I'm asking you this morning, are you asking yourself those questions? Because if you aren't, you aren't on guard. And wealth has this power to rot our hearts, to eat our flesh like fire. Do Christians really need to hear um, this warning, right? Every single one of us has this deep hunger and need in our lives, uh, this need to feel significant, this need to feel secure, this need to feel like our lives have value and worth and importance. And though Christians find all of that in Jesus, right, we can still, and we often do regularly, forget the love and the grace of God. And when we do, right, when our hearts are prone to wonder as the hymn goes, we can get just pulled into the undertow of the world's value system that says this is how you define your life, and this is how you define your security based on what's in your bank account, and this is what tells you your worth. As one author wrote, acquiring wealth to cure the problem of meaningless meaninglessness is like drinking coffee to solve the problem of exhaustion, which I do often. It can mask the problem, but it cannot cure it, right? And when we've been swept away by this hope that we can define our lives uh, by our wealth, this rottenness that comes into our hearts, it begins to spread. And one of the ways that James mentions it's spreading in this passage is in verse 4. He says, Behold, the wages of laborers who mowed, behold, the wages of, you, you've withheld the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. They're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He's saying this rottenness will very quickly spread into your relationships, right? You stop seeing people as people and you see them as objects that are either in the way or to be used in order for you to get what you want. Trying to get something for nothing in life, right? Not treating or dealing with people fairly. Stepping on other people to get ahead. You know, this is what James sees, but all throughout the testimony of the Bible is that wealth has this power to rot your heart. It rots your heart with anxiety. Whether you have a lot and you're afraid of losing it, or whether you have very, very little, and you're just hoping to gain more of it, right? Or it rots your heart with bitterness and envy when you see what others have that you think you deserve. Or it rots your hearts with just a fragile, right, false assurance that your security can really be found in the balance of your checking account. A writer named Joseph Epstein, who's considered by many to be the greatest essayist in the English language, he was asked by a publisher 
who was publishing a series of these small books on uh, what are commonly referred to as the seven deadly sins, you know, stuff like um, lust and anger and gluttony and sloth. And Joseph Epstein was asked to write the book, this little book, on envy, Um, that one of those seven deadly sins. And this is the very first sentence of his book, which I think is brilliant. He says this, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. Um, See, what he's saying is lust and anger and gluttony and sloth and those things, they all bring with them some kind of momentary pleasure, right? But sneaky, subtle, poisonous, and hard-to-catch envy, right? When it gets its teeth into you, it only makes you miserable, right? This is what James is, was saying about wealth. It will rot your heart when it gets its teeth into you. It will eat your flesh like fire. You know what gangrene is, right? Gangrene is when a part of your body, your, your bodily tissue dies. It actually begins to rot, right? And it usually affects an extremity first. So like your toes or your foot or a leg or, or a hand or something like that. And, um, you know what the treatment for a gangrenous toe or foot or hand is? It's pretty severe. It's amputation, right? And it's that severe, amputation, because gangrene, that rotten, dying flesh, if you don't cut it off, given half a chance, it's going to spread all throughout your body and take your life. Be on guard, Jesus says. Are you asking the right questions about your wealth and your possessions? Is this a necessity or a luxury, saving or hoarding, right? Convenience or self-indulgence? Because the wealth has the power to rot our hearts, to sneak its way into our hearts and spread its rottenness everywhere. Okay, second, let's talk about wealth's power to rob your comfort. See, the great irony is that we often look to our wealth and our possessions as our comfort to make us feel safe and secure, to provide us with pleasure or something like that. But James was saying, if you look to wealth for comfort, what you're going to find is that it will always rob you of your comfort. For starters, James says in the very last part of verse 3, he says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Um, Over and over in the Bible, the great comfort of God's people is actually that we are living in the last days. That is, we are living between the time of Christ's first coming and His second coming, right? Look, this is a great comfort for God's people. Because you know this, life is harsh, and it's broken, and it's painful, and it's full of sorrow and suffering, and the longer you live, the more the jagged, sharp edges of life's brokenness are going to press in on you and cut you. The hope and comfort of the Christian has always been that this life is not all there is, that one day, someday, Jesus is going to come back for His bride. And in that day, He's going to make everything that is wrong in this world, He's going to make it right again. And in that day, there will be no more tears. He will wipe away our tears. There will be no more suffering or mourning, and death will be vanquished forever and ever. And that is our real comfort. 
Listen, I, I wish that I could say that I'm aging gracefully, um, but the truth is that I, I'm definitely not. Um, I need glasses to read. Um, I, I, I'm trying to lose weight right now, and it's becoming very, very difficult uh, to do that, um, struggling with that. I have degenerative discs in my back. I have arthritis in my neck. I'm falling apart, right? Um, I've also become more aware in my 40s than I've ever been um, that there are going to be so many things in my life that I really wanted to do, but I'm just not going to get to do them. You know, the places that I, w- I thought I would visit, things I thought I would see, things that I thought I would comp- accomplish that I'll, I'll never be able to get to do those things. Listen, if you only live once, right, hashtag YOLO, right? Um, hashtag. Um, if you watch Jimmy Fallon. Um, if you only live once, then you've got, you've got every reason to have a life that is full of regret and bitterness and anxiety and envy, right? Because if this life is the only life there is, then this is it. You've got to get it now. You've got to step on people to get ahead. You've got to live in luxury and self-indulgence now. But if Jesus is coming back, And if He's coming back to make everything that is wrong in this world right and give us the world we were meant to live in, well, then I can be comforted in the midst of real brokenness. And I can let go of my regrets and my bitterness and my anxiety. You know, Christians used to say that that we're meant to live with one eye on earth and the other eye on heaven, right? Realism and comfort at the same time is what they were saying. But if you take your eye off of that coming horizon of Jesus' return for His bride, the church, and you are only focused on this life, you are going to be robbed of that comfort in the last days. The comfort you hope to gain in wealth will constantly elude you. But listen, there's something else here that I want to spend a little time on in this point, and and that is that wealth and the love of money can really rob you of the comfort of your assurance. All throughout James, it's obvious that James is writing this letter to Christians. Even verse 7, which immediately follows this section at the end of our passage, it says this, be patient, therefore, brothers. He's writing to the brothers. He's writing to Christians. But that creates a real problem for us in this passage because this is by far the harshest passage in James. And we have to ask ourselves, why would James talk to Christians like this? Why would James use the language of judgment to talk to Christians? Language like evidence being against you or language like a day of slaughter that's coming. Do you know that one of the the main indicators, according to the Bible, of spiritual health is really what you do with your money and what you do with your wealth? Are you using it to build your own kingdom or are you using it to build Jesus' kingdom? Right? Do you use it to spend it on yourself or on others? It's why Jesus spoke about money more than anything else, right? Money is a litmus test. It reveals the condition of our hearts. So here's what James is getting at with all this harsh language. He's saying, if you don't adjust your lifestyle in order to give, if you pursue wealth as your comfort or your security, 
If you fail to reflect God's work in you by the way you handle your money, James is saying you're going to lose your assurance and comfort. And rather than us see that as a horrible thing, you need to see that as, that as God's work of grace in our lives, that He allows that to happen, that He unsettles us, and that He lets wealth rob us of our assurance at times because He wants us to change. He wants us to weep and howl, verse 1, so that we will work and do everything we can to get our assurance back. Look, <clears throat> I'm not suggesting here that this is the only reason anyone struggles with a lack of assurance. There are lots of things that can play roles in that. You know, our, our very dispositions and our temperaments can play a role in that. Our poor thinking and theological reflection can play a role. Your past, your present experience, whatever it is, can play a role in that. But haven't you felt this in your life before? I, I know that I have, for sure. That when I have walked away from Jesus for an extended period of time, in some way being disobedient to Him, that I've lost my assurance of His love. That I've begun to doubt and wonder, and that is God's grace to you and me. He urges us to get that insurance, assurance back, to go get it. And, and a lot of times, the way we handle wealth, it reveals the condition of our hearts. And if we fail to follow God in obedience with our wealth, James is saying you're going to be robbed of the comfort of his assurance, of the assurance of his love. Joseph Epstein, the essayist I mentioned in the last point, just a few pages after he tells us that only envy is no fun at all, he wrote this, is envy a feeling, an emotion, a sin, a temperamental disposition, or a worldview? And he says this, might it also be a Rorschach test? Tell what you envy and you reveal a great deal about yourself. The Rorschach test, of course, is it's that inkblot test that psychologists use. They show you the inkblot, and you're supposed to say what you see in that inkblot, and then based on that, they're supposed to be able to determine your deepest underlying desires and motives and thoughts and all that kind of stuff. Um, listen, tell what you envy, and you reveal a great deal about yourself. Tell what luxury what self-indulgence, what you're anxious to get and have in life, or what you're afraid to lose. And you will reveal a great deal about yourself. Right? The Rorschach test, it's a little abstract. So if we could be a little bit more concrete, we might say this. Go through your checking account statement, or take a look at your credit card statement, or your savings account, and you will find out, you will learn a lot about yourself what you love and where your hopes and desires really are. Where, where have you laid up your treasure in these last days, James would ask us. Be on guard because wealth has the power to come in and rob us of our comfort. Okay, finally, I want us to talk about how to break wealth's power because we're all susceptible to this dangerous power of wealth to rot us from the inside out and to rob our comfort. So how can we break that power? Here's what I want to do. I want to give you the big answer, and then I want to get, leave you with just a few practical applications as we, as we wrap up. So here's the big answer to how to break wealth's power. It actually comes in the final verse, in verse 6. And this is a really interesting verse, fascinating really. Our translation, it, it attempts to be a very literal translation, and it reads, 
you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Um, but if you get out a number of different Bibles like I did this week, um, and you read through ten different translations, you're going to get ten different renderings of the original Greek there. Um, because everybody's got to make some decisions when they come to this, uh, this verse. And many translators end up giving us a translation that makes it sound as if James is saying, as if he's condemning the rich for murdering the poor with the way they use their money. But that doesn't work for two reasons. First, he's not talking about the murder of a group of people, but of one person, the righteous one, right? And secondly, if he was talking about the poor, he would have said something like, they could not resist you. But that's not what he wrote. He wrote about the righteous one who did not or would not resist you. See, James is talking about Jesus here in this verse. And he's saying that when we hoard our wealth, when it leads us to treat others unfairly because of our greed, when we take our money and we spend it on ourselves, on our own luxuries and our own self-indulgence, we are opposing the very one who died for us, right? We are prone to wonder from the one who did not resist but gave his life freely for us. You remember that, um, <clears throat> that terrifying image at the beginning of this passage, that how wealth has this power to eat your flesh like fire? Um, try and bring this full circle here. From the beginning of Scripture in the Bible, fire is a symbol of judgment, right? So after Adam and Eve's fall from righteousness in the garden, you remember this story about how they're banished from the garden? And what happened when they were banished from the garden? God put an angel there, guarding the way back to the tree of life with this fiery, flashing, flaming sword of judgment. And the reason was pretty clear that the only way for anyone to get back to the tree of life, you have to go through that fiery, flashing, flaming sword of judgment. Listen, and now James reminds us in this last verse that the righteous one, he freely and voluntarily, he went through those flames, and he was devoured for us. He was struck down for us. Somewhere out west in California, I wish I could remember where, but I read this story about a father who was camping with his kids one evening, and they woke up in the middle of the night because they heard the roar of a forest fire that was coming towards them. And when they got out of their tents, they looked up and they could see the, the glow on the horizon as it was getting closer and closer to them, and it was terrifying. And they knew that they had gone so far off the trail that they would never make it back to their vehicle in time to be safe. And so this quick-thinking father had an idea. And what he did was he started his own fire right there in their campsite. And he burned this huge circle. He burned every bush and every piece of grass in that little circle. And then he and his boys gathered up in the center of that circle, and they stood and they waited. And when the raging forest fire came, it just passed over them completely. Right? There was nothing left 
for that fire to consume. And James was saying to these Christians, you are prone to wonder. You are prone to forget God's love and grace towards you. And usually the first indicator, the first place it gets reflected in our lives is in how we handle our money. But you need to hear this good news, that God Himself, even though you forgot Him, He never forgets you. He is the righteous one, and He voluntarily took the flames of judgment for you. He did not resist, and He was consumed, and He was devoured in your place for you. See, what I'm saying is that it's the good news of the gospel that breaks the power of wealth and sets us free. Why? Because your heart has to be captivated by a beauty that's far greater than that of your wealth. You were built with this deep need, this hunger inside of you to feel significant, to know you're worthy of love, to know that you're important and significant, right? And there is no beauty greater than this, the righteous one who can say to you, lay down your deadly doing. Stop your restless striving to achieve all of these things and simply receive these things by grace. Right? Jesus says to you, I went through the fiery, flaming sword of judgment to give you life and life abundant. I wish I could say more about this, but let me end with just a few applications for us, okay? Here it is. First, you need to learn how to rest. We all need to learn, to learn how to rest. So often when Jesus spoke about money, He drew us to the fact that God is our Father in heaven, Your father knows what you need before you ask, Jesus would say. Your father longs to give his children good gifts, right? He's the king, but he's also your father in heaven. A friend of mine told me about a time he was in Walmart and he heard a kid screaming one aisle over, which is not unusual if you've been to Walmart, right? And so he was fully expecting to see a kid throwing a fit in the aisle Um, But when he went around the corner, he saw that this kid was all alone, and he was screaming, and he was crying because he was afraid. He got separated from his mother, and so as he's watching, trying to figure out what to do, he sees this mother round the corner and come and scoop up her child. And my friend said, it was amazing to watch, because this little child went from screaming terror and panic and crying he said she was, he was asleep 30 seconds later in his mother's arms. You know what Jesus is saying when he talks about your father? He's saying you are made to come home and rest in his arms. To find rest, to receive his grace, not try to earn it. Okay, second thing, and this is going to sound weird following that, but the second thing we need to do is we need to learn how to pursue you also have to, you have to pursue at the same time you're resting. Jesus didn't only tell us to rest when he spoke about money. He also told, us, also told us to pursue a different kind of treasure in life, right? To seek first the kingdom of God. Where is your heart? You were made to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You were made to forget yourself in pursuit of a kingdom that's far bigger and more glorious than you are. And you are to cease living for the small world of your own self-indulgence. I love how one theologian puts it when he says, if you aim at heaven, you'll get heaven and earth thrown into. But if you aim at earth, you'll get neither. What are you aiming at? What are you pursuing? Third thing, 
is give. You are made to give. And listen, when you give generously, that is when you are most resembling Jesus, who gave himself for you. I'm going to end with this little story here. There's this crazy story in Acts chapter 4, where in the early church, Peter and John, they were threatened to stop speaking about Jesus and to stop proclaiming the gospel, or they would be put to death. You just kind of got to imagine what that would feel like to be told that. And so I think very naturally, Peter and John, they ran back to the other disciples because they were terrified. And they all got in a room together, and they started praying because they were scared. They did not know what to do. And this is what Acts chapter 4 says. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Unfortunately, when you and I, for a lot of us, when we hear the words filled with the Spirit, we think, "Uh uh-oh, weird stuff, speaking in tongues, something strange, right? But that's not what's going on here at all. What the Spirit was doing while they were praying was coming down to assure them of Jesus' love for them, of God's love for them. And so do you know what the result was? Let me read to you the very next verse. This is what happened when they were assured of God's love. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. See, if you want to resemble the king's beauty then you have to give. You have to be sacrificially generous. Because listen, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who owns every star that twinkles in the sky, who owns absolutely everything that exists, he gave up everything just to have you and to have you forever and ever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the time today to open up your word, to sit beneath it, and we confess, I confess, um, that this is an uncomfortable topic to talk about, to talk about our wealth and money, because in the big scheme of things, we really are very wealthy in this country. We are We have been blessed with all kinds of temporal gifts in this life. And so, Father, it's hard because we have to admit that very often in our lives, wealth has snuck in and it has begun to rot our hearts and rob us of our comfort. And, Father, our prayer is that you would remind us today, this very morning, of your lavish grace, of how your Son gave up everything even his own life, in order that we might find life in him. And Father, we pray that this good news of your love for us, we pray that it would break the power that wealth holds over us, and that it would set us free to rest in Jesus, to pursue your kingdom, and to live sacrificially and generously with all that you have given us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.